Tuesday. Let's tee it on up and get to some pro wrestling punditry. My name is Nick Hausman. I'm your managing editor of Wrestling Inc. And I am joined here, as I am every Tuesday, by my good friend Michael Weisman. Michael, thank you for following the star with your other two Weismans and making it here today. Wow, I've never heard that joke before. <laughs> Way to make fun of my name. That's not making fun. Those men, those men obviously have means. They had frankincense, gold, myrrh. I mean, well uh, off. I, I grew up with the nickname Mikey, and so for, and my wife still calls me that. So for all of my life, I've heard the classic life serial line: "Hey, Mikey, he likes it." Ha 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 ha! It's so funny, people. So all right. funny. Well, next week. That's how we'll lead off Tuesday. Uh, well, welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Big Last week was a blow-away week for us, uh, listenership-wise. I know with the Moxley news dropping and everything, there was a lot of attention. Uh, I hope you're all coming back. We got even more pro wrestling news to get to here. And I promise you, we're probably still going to talk a little bit about John Moxley here on the show. But, but, but after the news, I got a big interview here today. I'm just going to play one today because I liked this one so much. Uh, I befriended a, a famous Hollywood actor at StarCast 2. Uh, his name is Paul Walter Hauser. Uh, you may have seen him in the movie I, Tanya or Black Klansman. He's also in Cobra Kai. He's a very funny man, and uh, he brings a lot of, you know, he's a 10-year working actor in Hollywood, brings a very different perspective uh, to the world of professional wrestling, which he's very passionate about. Uh, he was also on Kimmy Schmidt, right? He was on Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah. He was the rich guy. Mm-hmm. He was Kimmy Schmidt. He, he, and I, Tanya, he was Sean Eckhart, the bad guy. Yes. The big guy who, like, actually had Tanya Harding's uh, kneecaps busted or whatever. Um, you know, he was Ivanhoe in Black Clansman. He stole the, I mean, he stole the scenes in I, Tanya. Let, let's just put that out there. He was hilarious. But <laughs> you, yeah. You hear me geek out a little bit about I, Tanya towards the end of the interview That's here. Awesome. It's largely about pro wrestling because he was at Double or Nothing. He was at StarCast. So he's got a lot of opinions, and uh, I'm really happy to, to have him on the show. Uh, it sounds like he might be a regular. Maybe every month or so we could get Paul on here uh, talking about what he thinks of pro wrestling. But you guys are just going to love this. I love this interview. Thank you, Paul, for doing it. Uh, I cannot wait for you all to hear it. Uh, also, this Friday afternoon after Super Showdown, uh, we will be doing a post-show review. I don't do a whole lot of post-show reviews, but our own uh, the president of Wrestling Inc., Raj Geary, is on vacation for the next week or so, so I'm stepping in. I'm gonna do. A, I'm gonna do a review show, Michael, with Glenn uh, Rubenstein, and we're gonna talk about Super Showdown this Friday afternoon. You never do review shows. What is this? I don't like them. I mean, not that I don't like them. Not that <laughs> I, it's not that I, it's not that I don't like review shows because I, I got impassioned with pro wrestling journalism. Listening to a lot of review shows. You're just too good for them, right? I like talking the news now. <laughs> you know, it's it's different. They're very different mediums. Glenn and Raj and, and you know those guys are so good at, at doing uh, post shows. You're great at them. I this one's in the afternoon, which is good for my schedule. So I'm down and I'm happy to do it. But all well, the you rest picked of the them, right one, Nick, because you know this is a WrestleMania equivalent show, right? Hmm. Airing at 2 p.m. in the afternoon right. on a Friday during the American Workday, paid for by. Saudi blood money without any women wrestlers, but it is a WrestleMania equivalent. So you pick the right show to do it for. Yeah. Well, there <laughs> you go. Mike, Mike set it up great there. So we're going to, I'm going to be getting into it with Glenn after super showdown uh, this Friday, I guess it will be like five or six, seven, whenever the show's done uh, tune on in. Let's have a blast. Let's have a hoot nanny this Friday. Um, and with that, let's get to it here. Some news you can use news. that will leave a bruise. We're going to dive first into the big news coming out of raw. There were, uh, you know, there were more talking points coming out of raw this week than normal. Uh, overall, what'd you, what'd you think of raw last night, Mike? Um, I'm very mad. There was a couple of segments I dug a little bit, but overall the show left me feeling very indifferent. And I, I say that mm -hmm. because Saturday night NXT was such a great 
teardown show and it was a great follow-up to double or nothing the weekend before and raw just left me feeling very indifferent about the product as as is not necessarily bad but just still indifferent well yes i i agree you know there was a big tease going into the show of course that brock lesnar was going to cash in the money in the bank contract on seth rollins uh he beat up seth rollins on the show uh just when you thought he was going to cash it in he he looks at paul and he goes no friday Friday! Friday! Rebecca Black's favorite day of the week, right? Friday! Um, Somebody should do a mashup of that, by the way. Brock and Rebecca Black. (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, so we're not going to see it, uh, I guess, until Super Showdown, where Rollins is going to face Corbin. Uh, This is... This was weird to me, man. Why would I don't I, I hate the bait and switch, first of all. But second of all, the fun thing about the money in the bank is that it's so unexpected. It could happen at any time by continuing to just kind of uh, call it out. It, it takes a little of the fun away for me. Well, it feels like they're trying to very much make Brock Lesnar a bad guy because of his refusal to cash in the money in the bank and keep, like you said, the bait and switch here, right? He's on this bait and switch week after week. Maybe I'll cash it in. No, I'm not going to. But the thing that pisses me off here is WWE went out of its way to hype up. He was going to cash in, right? He's going to cash in the night and, and over the weekend. He's going to cash in on Monday night. And they made it seem like it's a guaranteed thing. Now, I get you you change this. You do this to generate heat. But then Brock Lesnar looks like an absolute idiot out there. He has beaten Seth Rollins within an inch of his life. There is never going to be a better time to cash in than what you saw Monday night. A guaranteed win, as Paul Heyman is pointing out, a guaranteed victory, reclaiming that championship. And it almost made it seem like Brock Lesnar doesn't even give a crap about the title. And that devalues your championship and money in the bank in the process so i i the beatdown was effective the his refusal to cash in makes zero sense and i thought they lost a lot of steam uh, with this segment monday night many good points made there michael yeah i i agree with pretty much everything you said and uh you know we'll see uh do you think he actually cashes it in at super showdown or do you think we get another beatdown and then he walks with the bank with money the i bank. think he's he's got to cash in at super showdown right i think they're saving it for super showdown because again it's a quote-unquote wrestlemania equivalent greater than whatever you want to say uh, so i think they're trying to do this to kind of spike the saudi show a little bit make it seem more interesting oh they're, they're gonna do something right good yeah you know it's just a it's a bummer to me money in the bank is like less than a month old and these things are both going to be used up you know that again it's just like this this is not how I, I feel these effective the briefcases are effectively being used. Both the both of the title changes here could have happened without the money in the bank briefcase. Well, the thing is, it doesn't seem like it makes any sense to me from a, a standpoint of supporting Brock Lesnar and his run. I don't think it's doing much for him right now, other than creating segments like this. I don't think it's doing anything for Money in the Bank. You know, the story going into this year's Money in the Bank was they were really going to put a focus back on Money in the Bank, Money in the Bank this year, and make it a big deal again. And I feel like they haven't done that at all either. So it just feels like it's a lost opportunity all the way around. Yes, agreed. Ooh. It's storming here in Chicago now. You you angered the you angered the gods. <laughs> the Bro- Brock Lesnar storm of, of money in the bank madness. We better move away. I did. I heard some really loud thunder just now. That's pretty cool. Um, all right. Uh, Roman Reigns uh, announced he's going to take on Drew McIntyre at WWE Stomping Grounds, which will be the next pay-per-view after Super Showdown, where he'll face Shane McMahon. Not a whole lot to this. Uh, there was something here. I don't know. Was there anything here? Triple H and Randy Orton had this promo battle that ended really abruptly with Hunter taking some pretty, you know, decent pot shots here at Randy. Uh, and Randy looking at him like, WTF, man, what are you, why are you saying this stuff? What's going on here? What did you think about the, the weirdness here of the, the Triple H Horton promo? 
I really dug the Triple H for Randy Orton promo because it felt very like a classic wrestling promo. These two guys don't like each other. They're kind of digging into some old history. They've had some great video packages. What's taken them so long to actually get in the ring together, right? I don't know. But I did like this promo. It did seem a little bit weird. I'm sure it was all in the up and up. It made me wonder, though, was this just a way to kind of give uh, Triple H a shove going into this so Randy Orton comes out on top come Friday? Mm, interesting. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I would hope so. I also kind of got the vibe of like, Triple H beats Orton here. Orton's like, what, why? <laughs> you just buried me here? You buried yeah. me there? I don't get it, man. Um, so, you know, and again, we hear all these rumors about, you know, you'd be surprised at the level of guys that are interested in, in leaving the company or whatever. You know, Randy Orton has been a, a seasoned vet there for a while now. Hasn't really had a, a top run in, in some time. Maybe there's more to this. That's all I'm saying, you know? I mean, his contract does come up, what, the end of the year, right? Something like that. I think so. <laughs> so, food for thought. Uh, Rey Mysterio, he relinquished the United States Championship to Samoa Joe. Joe took the title, put him in a coquina clutch. Rey Mysterio vowing revenge, and then he'll take his title back. Um, you know, the same question everybody's asking. Why'd Joe just get this thing? Why wasn't there a match, right? Yeah, I hate the logic here, right? Samoa Joe just gets the title back by default. Makes no sense. I love the segment, though. I got to say, it's one of the things I thought did work. Again, the Rey Mysterio-Samoa Joe feud continues to thrive despite the injuries, despite the short matches. I continue to want to see these guys go at one another because, again, Samoa Joe, great promo. Rey Mysterio playing a great baby face here. So I, I hate that he's injured. I hate that he's out for a little bit, but great intensity here from both men. I hope I hope we get more from them later this summer. Yeah, I do. And, and we haven't really seen them go more than like three minutes in a match. Sure. Since WrestleMania. Sure. You know? Sure. Um, so uh, then we go over here. Uh, we got two more things coming out of Raw. Bray Wyatt, latest Firefly Funhouse. This one was uh, straight out of Adult Swim acid trip. <laughs> um, we, got two new, we got two new puppets. Uh, we got the pig. Uh, Huskis the pig, which is representative of Husk his period of Husky Harris. I'm starting to pick up on this now. You got the Mercy the buzzer. That's his other persona. Abigail the witch. That's his other persona. Um, we got Ramblin' Rabbit, which I think is an overall commentary of his promo style. And now we have uh, evil Vince McMahon character here. What uh, would you, you think of this? I loved it. And I love the, like you pointed out, the kind of the subtle nods to his previous personas, how they're kind of integrating all of this into a bigger Bray Wyatt Firefly Funhouse universe here. It was just so goofy and weird and surrealist. And like you pointed out, Adult Swim-ish. Like I grew up, you know, as a teenager on Adult Swim. So I, I just love this kind of stuff happening in WWE right now. I'm glad they're giving Bray Wyatt this freedom. It makes me interested. The thing I don't like um, and this is nitpicky, I know, but I, I wish they wouldn't go out of their way to have the announce team talk about, oh man, Firefly Funhouse coming on later in the night, or during the segment, cutting to the arena and showing the fans watching it on the Titantron. Because as a viewer, it takes me out of the moment, right? This is supposed to be a segment that kind of exists. It's on WWE programming, but kind of outside the realm of normal WWE stuff because it's so weird and out there. So I hate that they're kind of building it up as like, it's part of our universe, right? But uh, nitpicky, I know, but I, I love the segment from top to bottom. I I love how strange this whole thing with Bray Wyatt is getting. I just wonder what non like hardcore wrestling fans, uh, like kids watching this. I mean, are they just like, Ooh, this is different and fun. Cause it's just, it's so deep. It's like the deepest, most metaphorical thing I've ever seen WWE produce. 
It, well, it's, it's the kind of thing that you think about the early days of, I mean, again, talking about Adult Swim here, people said, Turner Network said, this is never going to work. We're going to do this Adult Swim thing. It's going to fizzle out in a year or two. Shows like Aqua Teen Hunger Force, Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law, all this weird stuff. But because it was different and it had some level of like, I can't believe I'm watching this on TV, but also I'm being entertained. It, it works, right? And I think that's what Bray Wyatt has found. He's the only guy I think of on the roster that I know that could deliver this as effectively as he does with his, Matt Hardy also. So Matt Hardy could do this as well. So it's just it's something that clicks just for the strangest reasons. Well, speaking of things I didn't know, I, I didn't know why are on my TV screen, but I sure I'm entertained by it. Uh, we had two special guests in the house for Raw, Matthew McConaughey and Lance Armstrong, who they went out of their way to put over as like one of the best bicyclists of all time. And of course, <laughs> of course, Matthew McConaughey. Uh, all right. All right. All right. You know, he's great. Who doesn't love McConaughey? I, I was cool to see him. Lance Armstrong, though. I don't know, considering your company's history with certain substances, is this really the guy you want to be like tipping our hat? Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong is a classic Vince McMahon guy, right? A classic guy that Vince McMahon's like, oh, he didn't get his due in court. Blah, we need to get it, you know. Lance Armstrong, to be fair, has kind of gone through the process. I know he has a podcast now and all that stuff. So I, I think we've kind of seen some redemption come from Lance Armstrong. I've heard interviews with him on NPR where he's kind of really copped to what he did and, right. and, and explained more of all that. So Good. I'm not going to be quite as harsh on him, but Matthew McConaughey, God, he just, he strikes me as just a true blue, like I'm a Hollywood dude, but I love pro wrestling. And, you know, McConaughey is so authentic all the time anyway. So I, I it's it's funny. It's weird. But I, I, I'm, you know, more, it is what it is. It's cool. More, like it. more McConaughey on Monday Night Raw. I know he lives in Austin. So it was probably just one of those things where he saw it as maybe his kids like wrestling or something. But very cool. I loved it. <laughs> very unexpected. Uh, well, tonight on SmackDown, here's what you can expect. Bill Goldberg is going to be appearing. It is his first ever SmackDown Live appearance. He's going to face The Undertaker this Sunday at Super Showdown. Undertaker cut a promo on Raw last night that went right to the buzzer. He got out the last word, and they couldn't have got that show off the air any quicker. No gong, out and done. Uh, you know, this is a cool match. It's going to always be tainted, I think, by the backdrop that it's on. Um, I don't really know what to expect from Goldberg here much beyond what Undertaker said last night. You know, it's more, you know it'll be a, a stereotypical Goldberg promo is my guess. God, that announce team was killing me last night. They showed the segment of, of Undertaker debuting almost 29 years ago. And Michael Cole says, and yet the Undertaker's still here on Monday Night Raw at the top of his game or something like that. Michael Cole, no, he is not. Shut the hell up right now. So I, I get it. They're selling the moment here. Undertaker, his promo, typical Undertaker promo. But I like that he said, I don't want the Bill Goldberg family man. I want the Bill Goldberg that we kind of know as being the just the trash smash mouth wrestler dude, right? So effective from that standpoint, really could have used the overrun. Bill Goldberg, he's, he's a guy that he's going to come out on SmackDown. What's he going to say? They're hyping this off of name recognition and legendary status alone. I, it's not going to mean much going forward, though. Um, and also tonight on SmackDown, we're going to get an exclusive interview with Lars Sullivan, who will take on the Lucha House Party this Friday at Super Showdown. And I'm going to guess that he's going to talk about how this match, this three-on-one match against the Lucha House Party, is part of his uh, sensitivity training. Uh, <laughs> he's like, I'm sitting down in a violent fashion with three uh, Hispanic men to talk. No, I don't know. This is a. I don't. What are you? What are you gonna? What are you gonna do here with Lars Sullivan? Obviously, the tease is like, is he going to address this stuff from online? No way. No, no way. way. But it's weird. I feel like that's what they're dangling out there. Yeah, it, it felt like they were teasing that because the first ever, they didn't say first ever interview since the allegations. They just said an exclusive first time ever interview with Lars Sullivan. So they're trying to play on it without addressing it. I'd love it. Like, you know, he sits down with, you know, Jojo, whoever else. Um, 
tell all and just kind of gets in the back and, and it's just like, you know, I really was a different person back then, but no way they're going to have him come out there and grunt and say, I'm going to rip their heads off on Friday. And that's, what's going to happen. I hope it's Titus O'Neil sitting him down and he's like, hello, Lars. <laughs> uh, we'd like to talk about what you've learned through the experience of redemption up to this point. Uh, I, I mean, maybe Lars is your next electric chair candidate, right? I'm just oh, saying oh. the segment guys, not the actual electric chair. Come Let's on layer something else on top of another thing to make it better. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Uh, oh. Sasha Banks updates here. Wrestling Observer reporting Sasha Banks met with Vince McMahon uh, on May 23rd, so about a week and a half ago. Things have reportedly, reportedly gotten better between the two sides, and while it's not official, she could be back sometime this summer. She uh, recently tweeted out uh, uh, lyrics from Kendrick Lamar's Dumb It Down, saying, I will conquer my biggest dreams. Once you open the cage, I bet that I'll spread my wings. I mean, the, the bottom line here for me is, you know, we've heard so many reports from Luke Harper to Neville about, you know, if you decide to just sit out, they'll just extend your contract here. So, in my opinion, yeah, better to, to make peace, get back on the road. If you do want to leave, do what Moxley did, run out the days, and, and then flee the flee the house. But you can't it, – it, it, I don't think she's going to be helping herself here anymore uh, just by sitting at home. Absolutely not. And that's the thing that I think gave – Moxley so much more credit and credibility in his interview that he did with Jericho um, and Keller over the weekend. So, uh, you know, he said, I wanted to do this the right way, fulfill my obligations, but extend it no further, right? Vince McMahon even wanted him to stay on longer. He said no. So I think that I hope other wrestlers are hearing that narrative and taking it to heart like Sasha Banks here. You're better to play ball right now, do what's right, because once you're done and you've checked all of that off, number one, you get all of your residuals from selling merchandise, things like that. But number two, you can kind of leave on a good conscience. See him punk he walked out in the middle of his contract again and there are reasons for that but i think it all it tainted his reaction after he left wwe his interview was kind of seen as soured grapes whereas moxie's interview has been much better received from the standpoint of he did what he needed to do and now he's telling the side of the story i love that chris jericho has uh, talked about how there's like so many wrestlers hitting him up being like i can't wait to give my moxley interview now you know this is gonna be a whole it's gonna be a whole thing it's like whenever they did all those back in the mid 2000s, all of those shoot interviews with ex WWE guys that oh, yeah. aired on, I don't know, pay per view or whatever. Kayfabe commentary, whatever it was called. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Post wrestling, our good friend John Pollock reporting that AOP set to return to D, uh, WWE TV soon. Occam underwent knee surgery back in January, but he has uh, now been cleared. They will likely be back on WWE TV when Creative comes up with a new program for them. It was noted that their <laughs> return has been delayed due to the WWE. Wild card rule, which is tied up TV time, uh, i.e. we're featuring less people because we are focusing more on just top talent like it's the good old days where there were no brands. You know what I mean? When WWE comes up with something, these guys are the easiest guys to book for in the world. They're, they're just <laughs> monsters. And, and you have a tag team division full of guys who aren't anything like them, right? Oh, it speaks to the, you know, but that's the thing is I saw, what was it? Some statistic where there's like 54 main roster superstars that haven't been on WWE TV, Raw or SmackDown uh, since the, since the brand split, you know, I mean, they've really, they've really, you know, with this wild card rule, you got four people floating back and forth. That's four segments each week where you're guaranteed to see a lot of the same people. There's just, there's just less slots for people now on TV. I, th I think it's interesting, too, that WWE is keeping all those talents who aren't on TV under contract. You heard about the guys who want to go on the Jericho podcast, but also the opposite end. Some guys are perfectly happy and content being, you know, B-level, not on TV every week, but getting that paycheck and, and, and getting that payday. So um, good thing for pro wrestlers and job security right now because WWE is not releasing anybody. So, Well, uh, we, uh, let's talk real quickly. Uh, Wrestling Observer reporting about uh, Mickey James. Mickey James out with knee injury, uh, she sustained a knee injury over the weekend. 
No update on when she'll be back, but uh, just so you all know, that's where she's at. Uh, let's talk a bit about TakeOver. What an amazing show TakeOver 25 was. Adam Cole, new NXT champion. Street Profits, new NXT tag team champions. Uh, Britt Baker sat next to Stephanie McMahon. Shot her a glance. That went viral. WWE also announced their UK TakeOver show. It is going to take place the same day as All Out, though it will air earlier in the day. So for you, I mean, that was four quick top tidbits coming out of the show what grabbed you the most what what was the the penultimate moment for you at takeover the level of wrestling from top to bottom at this show just cannot be over i mean the main event was absolutely on fire mm -hmm. the tag team championships the surprise win by the street profits here but a very brutal match um the opening segment you know the opening match was was fantastic as well i just think that you you look at monday night raw after double or nothing and you said how are they going to follow it up well they didn't do anything right well of course not but this absolutely i mean nxt has been delivering top tier pay-per-views for years and i think this was absolutely one of those things that they can do it we can go out there and do it as well so i absolutely love this card if you missed it go check it out like all the nxt it delivers it's what's working in wwe right now 100%. And this UK takeover show Let's talk about it. Oh god. Okay. So this is a tidbit here. I I mean Triple H says he says we've had this booked for months. Um to be fair, it was pretty obvious AEW was going to air a show that same weekend and I'm sure they've had that idea for months and months and months and months as well. So I don't think it's as innocent as Triple H would make it seem. But they are going on earlier in the day, and to be fair, they are doing a UK takeover, not a true blue American NXT takeover. It's you know, but it's still going to just be a, a jam packed day for wrestling fans, you know. And I I kind of like that they're playing off each other here. You know, it's not uh, it's not head to head, but a lot of fans I'm sure will watch the UK takeover that morning. It'll probably be great, and they'll walk in with expectations here at All Out. Yeah, and I think that's totally fair, right? I think the thing that so, so here's the difference. We don't know when AEW is going to be on TV yet. And I think the thing that really worked for – you talk about it, and I hate comparing them because, again, they're different companies, but they're two wrestling shows, so we got to do it, right? The thing that worked for TakeOver 25 versus AEW is TakeOver 25 has had weeks and weeks of television to build these feuds. So when you saw it happen on Saturday night, it was really the culmination final battle ending segment, right, of the Avengers – for NXT and their storylines. Yeah. AEW doesn't, they have being the elite, but it's not quite the same. So the UK takeover show, I don't think will land that level of impact just because people aren't as invested in NXT UK. It's a different roster, all of that jazz. But I think to your point, it will excite fans. And I, th I think they're, again, I think there's going to be too many comparisons though between UK takeover and all out when I absolutely believe that all out is going to be the bigger show that day. Yeah, and we'll get to a bunch of AEW news here in just a second. A couple more uh, WWE notes. Our uh, truth won and lost the WWE 24-7 <laughs> championship to Jinder Mahal on a golf course over the weekend. Great transition. Uh, I, you know, I, I've, I'm not a huge fan, obviously, if you listen to the show of this title. I think it's going to burn itself out, and I think that, you know, people are going to look silly. But our truth already looks silly. doesn't matter. It doesn't hurt him. Uh, Jinder Mahal looks like a goofball here. What's he doing? Full gear on the golf course? Who knows? Um, what did you, what'd you like? Did you like this? I, I, I laughed at it. It was funny. Sure. Uh, you know, it was, it was goofy sure. and I've been down on the 24 seven title as well, but I'll be honest. If something can make me laugh and entertain me even for a hot minute, I'm going to be with it. And so that segment also followed up later in the night by the reveal of our truth underneath the ring, hiding out on the table. Both of those things 
cracked me up. And, and so R-Truth is really owning this 24-7 championship to an effective if, way. If I didn't know any better, I would think R-Truth was the real WWE champion, right? Because, <laughs> you know, he's he's getting, you know, but that's the thing is this title, it was on the main event of Raw. It's getting viral videos. You, you're They're putting so much attention on it, I feel, because it's such an easy out for the creative team. Like, oh, we can do whatever we want with this. Um, R-Truth is like, yeah, becoming a very compelling character with this. I just don't know how far you can take it. I don't I don't know when it burns out and it becomes redundant or stupid or whatever. I still see a horde of guys chasing a title that largely doesn't mean anything and I do I just wonder, you know, are we are we thinking about the long-term repercussions of the 24/7 championship? Well, it's absolutely hurting guys like EC3 who should be legitimate championship contenders, even a mid-card championship contenders, and they're kind of relegated to just showing up in backstage stage segments like this. It's absolutely helping somebody like R-Truth who really works as a comedic character, and to your point, he's selling these moments and really owning it, right? He's, he's the exact opposite of Brock Lesnar. R-Truth is a true fighting champion 24-7, and I love that. And the creative team can do whatever they want to with this title, which gives them opportunities and, and things they can do. But I think the reason... I, I liked this and didn't like the, the past segments is because this was really focused on our truth and gender Mahal or our truth and, you know, Cesaro for that hot minute, instead of it being everybody on the roster chasing down one guy, I don't like that. Make it more personal and I will find these segments more entertaining. All right. We'll see again. I, this has been the best of it so far. I just, I have my reservations. Sure. Uh, Finn Balor, speaking of making reservations, Finn Balor's probably making some, date reservations because he's officially <laughs> off the market that was a good transition that was good yeah i like it <laughs> thank you yeah finn balor uh is now officially with fox sports host veronica rodriguez uh they have confirmed their relationship uh he was representing toten ham before their loss to liverpool balor was interviewed by fox sports host veronica rockstar i guess that's a name veronica rodriguez and they confirmed they've been dating for a long time. Congratulations to the happy couple. This was one of the most traffic things of the entire week, and I can't believe you people. <laughs> right? Sex sells, baby. It does. It does. Uh, uh, and uh, it was made official here. Let's get to the AEW block here. Hangman Adam Page is going to face Chris Jericho for the AEW World Championship. It is official at All Out. Like you said, you know, UK takeover will be fine, I'm sure. It is still UK. It is not the American brand. Uh, but these are big stakes here. You're going to crown the first champion. Uh, for your money, who takes it home here, Page or Jericho? Got to go with Jericho. That gives you somebody to chase. Adam Page changes, chases Jericho. I think maybe you have MJF interfere to cause the victory for Jericho, so it's kind of a tainted win. Um, I don't know. I, I think Jericho walks out with it. I think he's the face of your company going into this TV deal. Uh, the Observer reporting AEW's double or nothing did roughly 98,000 pay-per-view buys. Now, this number includes buys from TV and digital pay-per-view uh, with, with close to a 50-50 split between the two platforms, TV and digital. All in, uh, the show before that drew 55,000 buys, so they almost doubled the amount of buys between show one and show two. Uh, AEW was the second most searched item on Google Trends for the night topping 220,000 searches, trailing only NBA's Toronto Raptors. Uh, it should be noted that All In, New Japan's Tokyo Dome show, ROH, New Japan, Madison Square Garden, uh, they never cracked the top 20 trends list on Google, and NXT has only broke the top 20 once when it hit 50,000 searches for NXT TakeOver New York. Big numbers. Bigger numbers, I think, many were expecting. I think it's impressive they almost doubled the draws from all in last year, right? So that's that's a very telling statistic. Interest has grown. Um, the trends on Twitter, I always kind of take that with a grain of salt because it, anything can can kind of swing that. But when you look at how big these numbers are compared to even some of the later day buys, so WWE Network's been around since what? 
2013-2014, this 98,000 comes close to being the kind of numbers that WWE was drawing for their lower-tier pay-per-views, yeah. right? Their extreme rules and all that kind of stuff. And I don't have exact numbers. Nowhere near your WrestleManias, which I, you know, would get hundreds of thousands of buys or your Royal Rumbles or things like that. But this is a really incredible number. And I think it tells how strong the brand of AEW is, right? All the talent is out there, but the fact that they can draw this in an age where pro wrestling pay-per-views just aren't a thing. People aren't buying impact wrestling pay-per-views in droves. People are buying UFC and that's about it. We all expect, you know, all the complaints around man, 50 bucks, that's too much. It did not deter this buy rate. So hell of a, hell of an effort from these guys here. Yeah. Very, very cool. And you know, it is, it's a, it's a snowball shooting down a mountainside at this point, you know, every day the, the snowball just seems to get a little bit bigger. So how, how far will this thing go? I think we're all very interested to find out uh well wrestling observer wwe uh, reporting that wwe's AEW reference Sami Zayn said last week in the electric chair spot on raw uh was uh in fact now this is the latest update on this story if it is a story was in fact scripted meant to make the show edgier uh vince's reaction backstage where he flipped out was either a miscommunication or he was trying to work the boys really not oh. a huge update there uh, Welcome to WCW 2001. Uh, also uh, from the Observer, WWE apparently found out John Moxley was signing with AEW the Thursday before Double or Nothing, and get this, they weren't happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> really? Huh, wow. Tell me more, Nick, about how WWE is unhappy this guy they gave a grand send-off to <laughs> signed with their biggest competition. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Breaking news. There's, there's, Water is wet. There's our Moxley news for the day, everybody. Uh, presidential candidate Andrew Yang tweeted out the following. If the hashtag Yang gang were a wrestling promotion, we would definitely be AEW wrestling. Are you familiar with uh, presidential candidate Andrew Yang? After this comment, I am, right? He's trying to get him some of that AOC love, I guess. That's yeah. what he's going for. Well, Andrew Yang, uh, he's the candidate on the Democrat side who's very into AI and how AI is going to take all of our jobs. And so he's a millennial. I'm not surprised to see it all that he tweeted this. You'll probably see, you'll probably hear his name pop up more. Uh, but, it, you know, look, it's it, pro wrestling. It can't stop finding its way into politics. Now AEW's in it. Ugh. It's everywhere. Everywhere. Um, politics or wrestling every both <laughs> all of it at once uh Ugh, politics fan uh so let's get to a weird story here a fan detailed a bizarre incident from over the weekend at an roh show with bully ray now the fan alleged now here's how the story played out i'm going to give you the rough nuts and bolts here because there's too many tweets and statements to read them all here but the fan apparently was at the show he's near the ringside area he was yelling at the allure uh, Lord knows what he said. He says he didn't say anything out of the normal, but Mandy Leon spit at him. Uh, a couple matches later, uh, the fan thought he was being taken by security backstage over what was described as an incident or whatever. So he goes with these people. Turns out these security people may have been ROH employees. I don't know. We haven't got that clarified yet. Again, there's too many tweets. Um, now, when this fan got taken backstage, he was confronted by Bully Ray, who told him that, you know, you, you shouldn't be saying things you wouldn't say to your mother out there, and the fan just kind of nodded his head and then was released from the room and, and ran away. Um, now, it should be noted that Bully dates Velvet Sky, who's in the allure alongside Mandy Leon. Uh, Ring of Honor has issued a statement saying they are doing a 48-hour internal review over the incident, so uh, we are about halfway into that because I got that press release uh, yesterday morning, so hopefully tomorrow, with the end of 48 hours, we'll find out what they're going to do about it. Uh, during this investigation... Bully Ray issued a public statement defending his actions, uh, pretty much saying, I guess, that the incident happened. Uh, and others involved in the incident from the allure from Ring of Honor uh, have jumped on Twitter 
defending bully and trying to condemn the fan. Uh, it, that was my broad stroke uh, uh, take on this story. But this is a weird one, Michael. What, what do you what do you make of this bully Ray story? There's so much to this, right? And so <clears throat> I, I think the fact that it has been it's blown up more than I think anybody in Ring of Honor could have imagined. I'm glad this fan went to Twitter and did proclaim all of this. It sounds like he claims he was kind of, you know, I was just playing it up as a wrestling fan and giving the heels heat like they wanted. Um, you know, everybody else is kind of claiming he crossed the line at numerous occasions. Now, it doesn't sound like he did anything physical. He never jumped the barricade. He just was kind of being a jackass. And other fans there have said he was kind of trying to draw attention to himself, right? So whatever you look at that, it, it could be maybe it's been blown up a little bit too much or maybe this guy actually is a complete and utter douche. But bigger point here, Bully Ray admitted no matter what happened backstage, Bully Way admitted to having security or rumored Ring of Honor personnel, but even if it was just security, bring a fan backstage to confront him, Ugh. right? And I think that's, you know, I saw David Bixon's fan uh, pick up on this last night. That's a really big uh, thing to admit in a public sphere because it's almost, it's a wrestling guy uh, working for a wrestling company, bringing a fan backstage to basically dress him down. And, if you, if you thought the fan crossed the line, Boot kick him. him out. Boot him. Right. Agreed. I think everybody agrees that's how this probably should have been handled. Yeah. yeah. You don't bring him backstage unless there's something personal involved. And again, Bully Ray dating Velvet Sky colors this thing a very different way. Um, Head Booker from um, Ring of Honor dates one of uh, one of the members of Allure as well. So, um, uh, so yeah, this whole thing just feels kind of wrong, even if there was nothing seriously about the intimidation or whatever like that. It feels bad because i think bully ray and ring of honor took this a step too far uh, i agree and you know again i don't know how much ring of honor like i don't know that joe Coff approved this or like whatever i don't i don't <laughs> think i don't joe's like giving him the nod he's like shake yeah. him shake him down you know what I mean? <laughs> bully ray's like hey sinclair you up yeah uh, they're like do it uh no i you know I, it does sound like this is a, a case of a wrestler with maybe a little too much clout running amok now what do you do i mean what do you do? You know, we're, we're conducting our own review here publicly since we seem to have so many facts already at our disposal. What, what do you do here, Michael? You've got to have somebody um, kind of come down here. And, and I don't want to say you bring down the hammer. I don't think you, you necessarily, if depending on what could happen here, because there could also still be a lawsuit involved, right? We don't know how so. far this thing could go. It kind of sounds like kidnapping to me a little yeah. bit. So. Yeah. so we don't know how far this thing could go, right? But if Ring of Honor is able to smooth this over with the fan, I think there does need to be some level of either you find Bully Ray, some level of suspension. I'm not saying we got to go as far as firing him, mm -hmm. but I do think there needs to be some kind of public facing way to say, Hey, we are dealing with this. We're addressing this. This was the, this was the wrong behavior and some kind of stern statement put out by Sinclair to, to let the fans know they are addressing the situation. Yeah. It's a I, bad look. Yeah, I, I agree. And look, bully's been great to me over the years. I've never been bullied by bully Ray. Did a great interview with him here on the show about two, three months ago. Listen to it. He gave me like an hour of his time. Great interview. Uh, maybe in the wrong on this one. And on the other side of this, ROH is, you know, not audience is not up. Attendance is not up for shows right now. They are working to rebrand and rebuild themselves. That's not a secret right now. They had a bunch of their big talent leave. They're they're filling in those voids. If you're a fan that's kind of on the fence, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> how do you? I don't know. <laughs> There's plenty of good wrestling out there for you to be a fan of that you don't have to put up with the muck of a situation like this or a situation like going to Saudi Arabia, right? Just watch your NXTs and your AEWs and uh, your other indies and be good. 
Uh, ROH. Uh, uh, you know, and uh, we talked all about these other promotions here. WWE, ROH, AEW, Impact Wrestling. Well, guess what? Joey Ryan has chosen none of them. Joey Ryan made it official at Bar Wrestling. He is choosing independent wrestling. Good for Joey. You know, I, I don't know if he... Uh, I mean, I, I would imagine he was given offers maybe a little lower than he was expected from around there. And he just said, hey, I can keep my normal schedule here, work around the Indies. I got a house. I got a beautiful wife. You know, I, I'm, I'm happy as is. So, uh, you know, if he's happy, I'm happy. I think it's cool that he's a cowboy like this. He's been very public in the past about how he's been able to earn a good living because of the fans and because of independent wrestling and how it's kind of thriving right now. So it doesn't entirely surprise me he went this route. The video, please go out and watch it if you haven't yet, because it's a, it's not a huge venue where he makes his announcement, but it's a very um, the, the crowd is right there up on the ring. Everybody's super hot for it, and, and he really does give back and say it's because of the fans. So it's a, it's a cool moment in, in independent wrestling. Like you said, he's the biggest fish in the pond right now. So I uh, look forward to uh, unique Joey Ryan matches here for the foreseeable future. Um, and those offers will come too, right? I mean, if he's had offers, this wrestling war is just heating up. He does this for six more months or a year, and then in a year he says, you know what? Let's do it. AEW, let's do the dance. Uh, Batista uh, revealed at the Denver Pop Culture Con pan at a panel at the Den Denver Pop Culture Con, Jesus, uh, that he nearly went broke and lost everything after he originally left WWE. Now, he left WWE. Uh, he said he was done with wrestling, and he was going to go make it in Hollywood, and he told himself he wasn't going to return to wrestling until he had done that. And it took a little bit longer for him to do that before he could land that big Guardians of the Galaxy role, but as soon as he did, he said his first call was right back to Vince. So it does sound like Batista's doing more than fine right now, but I'm a little surprised to hear that he was, like, nearly broke it and lost everything. He made, like, a ton of money in WWE, I would think. Like, does he have the worst financial advisor in the world, <laughs> or what? Jeez. Like, maybe you should go to Saudi Arabia and wrestle Batista. <laughs> yeah, I should, yeah. No, so it, it's it's surprising that he came out and said that he was broke. And I, I, I want to really question what that means, if he means he was actually broke or, you know, I, I want a little more context around that. I, it feels a little too dramatic. Mm -hmm. The Batista story in Hollywood has absolutely been an underdog story. I think Batista has surprised, I would say, almost all of us with what he's been able to do the roles he's chosen and the success he's found in those roles, including of course the guardians of the galaxy move. Um, and it makes sense too. this. I, I love the story here about Batista and how hard this interview was for him to get. His agent was like, you know, it's a long shot. I don't think you're going to be up for it. Nobody wants to talk to you about it, but I got you in the door. And then how he kind of found a way to get in there and he was coach of the process. And you saw how, you know, impassioned he was in defending James Gunn against the allegations over a year ago. So great story from top to bottom being broke though. Batista, come on, dude, find yourself a better financial advisor. Uh, and lastly here, our last news topic to discuss Rick Flair. Now, Rick Flair released uh, some videos over the past five days that were just shy of completely insane. And he claimed in the first video that his most recent health scare cost him 1.8 or not cost him. It cost one point eight million dollars. But that's the beauty of having health insurance, because the doctors fixed him up. And the doctors also told him you should slow down your hard party in ways um, and, or, or you're going to die or whatever. You're going to shorten your life. And Ric Flair basically said, your job is to make sure that I am okay so that I may continue to be Ric Flair. I will not stop partying. My wife expects a 35-year-old man in the bedroom every night. Uh, he's basically, he's like, I'm going to keep drinking. I'm going to keep doing my life. Uh, he took a shot at Shawn Michaels. Uh, hey, who, uh, oh, wait, I copy-pasted the other thing. Oh, I meant to copy-paste what he said exactly about Shawn. But anyway, he took a shot at Shawn because Shawn had said something about how Rick uh, should slow down on commentary for an NXT takeover or something like that. And Rick went off on him about, who are you to judge me? You grew up idolizing Ric Flair. Now you're going to tell me not to be Ric Flair. Jeez. Um, so let's talk about first video here. 
Um, silent and profiling. What do you make of Ric Flair's decision to not ever stop being Ric Flair? I like how Ric Flair is gone because he can't get in the ring and wrestle anymore. He's decided to basically treat life as his uh, professional wrestling opponent. And he's, you know, continuing to portray himself as the underdog. Life's trying to keep me down, but I'm not going to stop and I'm going to overcome death. And so it's Ric Flair being a classic wrestler here. Right. But dude is insane. And in, in his after his last health scare a couple of years ago, <laughs> oh you heard him come out and say, no, I really do need to slow down and I really do need to treat myself better. And this has been a real eye opening experience. Apparently that was a short lived revelation <laughs> so it's crazy to me that he has lived this long with the kind of life that he continues to lead i i hope we have him for many more years but comments like this don't inspire much confidence in that uh well he released a second video then uh, i think a couple days later here where he called out his former agent melinda morris zanani of legacy talent entertainment accusing her of embezzling money from him. He also accused Zanani of letting his woo and Ric Flair trademarks uh, expire. WWE ended up registering them. He also accused her of grabbing all the money you could run with after assuming he was go going to die. Flair said he hopes his video gets Zanoni disbarred, noting that he spoke with an attorney before recording it. He also claims Zanoni called his wife Wendy Barlow using a blocked number and threatened her. He noted that he was friends with Zanoni for 20 years and her client for 10. He apologized to Hall of Famer Sting, Kurt Angle, and Mick Foley for referring them to her. He also thanked his friends, doctors, and WWE for supporting him through his recent health, health issues and noted that Zanoni didn't visit him while he was hospitalized in Atlanta. I, Ric Flair off the chain. I mean, it's going to be super sad if this ends in like a, a I mean, and I don't knock on wood, you know, Rick live, live a long life here, but if this ends on a, a tragic note, it's going to be really sad. But while he's got time and lung in his breath, he ain't holding anything back. It reminds me of the first thing I had come to mind was the kind of the final years of Stan Lee's life. Stan Lee was quite a bit older here, but he had some of these same things happen, had a health scare, I think at one point. And then uh, he talked about his agent took him for all his money and so-and-so took him for all his money. People were stealing from him. He seemed a little bit kind of delirious on the stretch. And Ric Flair just seems like he's gone off on this. And I, I don't get it because it felt like for the last year or so since his last health scare, he had found a niche where he was going around, interacting with the fans, living his life, kind of still being the nature boy. And this is not the same Ric Flair that I felt like we had just a couple months ago. So it's very unfortunate. I hope things kind of come back together for him. And this, to your point, is not where we leave this man. <laughs> I guess at this time can be seen in such movies as I, Tanya and Black Klansman. You also maybe know him from the YouTube Red series Cobra Kai. It is Paul Walter Hauser. Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Oh, dude, it's my pleasure. I, uh, I check Wrestling Inc. on my phone probably four to five to seven times a day. It's a lot, you know, and it's a busy time for pro wrestling right now. I'm glad that we're your source for that. Like, what? I'll ask you since you visit the site so much. Like, what stories excite you the most? What are you most interested in finding out when you when you go look at the site? I mean, I kind of i I hate getting wrapped into the pettiness of like uh, sometimes there'll be a story like when Sami Zayn mentioned AEW on Raw, it was like that somehow became like a story, even though it wasn't really a story because nobody actually knows what happened. So then you have like tertiary accounts of the story and it becomes this like needless legend. So I, those are the stories that I get sucked into and I'm like, oh, why am I going down this rabbit hole? <laughs> but, but my favorite stories, I love when Wrestling Inc., uh, 
break something huge and mm-hmm. um and you guys are so quick and you're so quick to like talk about um literally every angle of the business of what's going on whether it's it's so-and-so's birthday or so-and-so booked a commercial or so-and-so's dating so-and-so or you know the the dean ambrose turned john moxley stuff like it's uh you guys kind of cover everything which i think is perfect thank you i appreciate that you know uh and i'll ask you here because like yeah the moxley thing has been like the, the big news the past 48 hours i'm sure since you're checking the site you uh know all about it uh what what do you think about this uh this crazy interview that that moxley did with chris jericho it's long overdue these guys got to start defending themselves for guys who fight for a living they don't fight for their careers nearly enough and I know that from an acting perspective, there have been jobs that have passed on or jobs where they try to pay you in peanuts, but you know, they have uh, gold and you're like, what's going on? So I think the, I think these guys are learning that being independent contractors, um, they have to take more ownership on their career. And that's scary because, you know, we feel so indebted to people that, that pay us and people that give us an outlet or a spotlight but at some point you got to know your value whether you're a plumber a teacher or a wrestler or an actor you have to know your value and i think at some point john moxley was like i think i know my value and i think i'm good and you're seeing that from sasha banks she's gonna fly the coop in about 10 minutes the second her contract is up she's gonna go make hand over fist wherever she wants because she finally realized her value yeah you know, and for you, I mean, you are like the real deal. We're getting into, you know, all the work that you've done and everything, but you're like the real deal. You're Hollywood. I mean, when you look at these guys and the way they're being treated, I mean, do you feel a little bad for the pro wrestling community knowing how actors like yourself get treated, you know, with the regular exposure? Yeah, I feel I feel bad for people that think that they have to stay in one place. Um, people that feel indebted to a fault or loyalty to a fault. And, you know, it's that thing too that, you know, Moxley, I don't even know what to call him. His real name is Jonathan Good. We know him as Dean Ambrose. Now he's John Moxley. Um, I, the thing about John is he made a good point of saying, you know, is Vince a genius? He kind of touched on this thing of like, everybody says he's a genius, uh, but he doesn't do genius things. And I think what's bad with tribalism is tribalism leads us to kind of believe in the lore over the reality. Mm. And as Cody Rhodes put it a couple times over the last few years, it's no longer perception is reality. Reality is reality. Mm-hmm. And when you look at reality from the perspective of reality, which is what we're doing now, Vince McMahon is always going to be a genius for what he did. He's like Barnum and Bailey, you know, he figured out how to sell the circus and he did it well. But at some point people, got tired of the circus and they said give us something else and you have to be able to reinvent yourself which is why chris jericho is so impressive um chris jericho is so impressive because he keeps reinventing himself Mm -hmm. and the wwe desperately needs to reinvent themselves if they want to survive yeah well let's let's touch on that real quick let's go just right down the rabbit hole you know i mean if you're in the you know you're bruce pritchard or whoever else in the back and You've got Vince's ear. I mean, what are you telling Vince to, to help, you know, uh, you know, turn the tide here and make the product uh, more enjoyable for, for wrestling fans? Well, how do you how do you rip the toy out of a wealthy only child's hand? It's true. You know, it's like it's like it's like Vince 
the moment you pull that toy away, the kid's just going to cry. So I think, I think with Vince, it's like you would have to restructure his entire mind to get him to understand the self-awareness that breeds uh, newness. And and I don't think that newness can come through Vince. I think it's going to come through Paul and Stephanie who are, you know, also obviously helping run the show. Um, He's, he's too far gone. You know, he's seen too much success. Uh, Some people can't be humbled in, in, in the manner they need to, to, to become malleable and to change. Uh, I don't think Vince can be humbled. Do you think that uh, you know? Do you think that will be a detriment here for WWE? I mean, you you were at oh du- you were you were at Double or Nothing, right? I mean, you were. I saw you at Starcast, but you were at the big show too, right? I mean, listen, I'm in, I'm indebted to these people. WWE made me love wrestling. Uh, they kept it going. W well, WCW was my first love. I started watching back in the early to mid '90s. WCW Saturday night was on before I went to bed. So like the guys I grew up were grew up with were Rick Rude, Sting, Arn Anderson, Steamboat, uh, uh, Dustin Rhodes, you know, like I grew up a WCW guy, WWE kept it going. And they even let me write for the edge and Christian show. I'm friendly with Adam Copeland, who everybody knows as edge. He asked me to write on their season one of their show. They paid me well to write for them. So like, I feel bad saying all this because I love WWE, but also, you know, I love my faith. I'm a Christian. I love my faith, but if a church does something wrong or bad or immoral, I'm going to call them out. You have to call out injustice and not let tribalism win over. So right now I'm calling out the injustices of WWE's relationship with the Saudi Arabians, the fact that they treat their talent like crap, and the fact that the product is suffering. Uh, so going to something like Double or Nothing was a joy of my life. I cried during Cody and Dustin. I cried during a wrestling match. You know how rare that is? It's wild. I mean, they're clearly doing something different and off the charts to receive the reception they're they're receiving. So, you know, I think AEW is more than off to the races based on that pay-per-view alone. Yeah, and, you know, a couple of things I'll touch on here. I'll try to grab as many dollar bills out of the air as possible real quickly. You know, you bring up it's not just Saudi Arabia, right? It's the way their talent is speaking out. You know, it's it's other little things. You know, the Lars Sullivan controversy. I mean, do you think the overall culture – I mean, you know, a lot of people make, you know, make waves about the creative and all that, like, oh, the creative's not so good. But do you think a, uh, there is a big part of the wrestling fans that have just walked away because they're tired of all the other stuff that, that you're talking about? Absolutely. And it's also the adult fans. The kids don't know what's going on, so it doesn't matter. They're they're going to retain their youthful uh, market no matter what. Right. But um, but I think the adults, I mean, we're in the information overload business right now with the Internet. We're going to find this stuff out. We're going to have a distaste for it. And at some point, you know, just like politics, you can change parties based on the deterioration of what once was. And I think we're seeing that with WWE. I think at the end of the day, you also have to look at things from a point of structure. If you were rooting for a sports team and you saw who they were drafting and you saw how they were paying and you saw the moves they were making, you could criticize it if it was clearly um, worthy of that criticism. And I think right now, WWE buying up all of the indie talent and just going, oh, PWG, we're going to offer you more money than, than you've seen, and then we're going to take 17-year guys. It's like, 
you don't even have you don't even have room for these guys. Yeah. You don't even have a game plan or strategy for people like uh uh Keith Lee. What are you doing? Keith Lee is one of the most fascinating, exciting people alive. The guy is the size of Dusty Rhodes and he moves like a luchador and he's got charisma. I mean, Keith Lee could headline WrestleMania with Velveteen Dream in three or four years. Those guys are that good. But the problem is that they don't know how to use them. And then in a year from now, we're going to be watching Keith Lee lose to Baron Corbin on SmackDown. We're all going to want to blow our brains out. It's a little extreme, but yes, I, I feel I feel what you're saying. Sorry, there. no, I didn't mean. I, yeah, I don't mean literally. Blow right now. I'm just yeah. I'm just like so frustrated by the obvious nature of their wasted talent and the fact that they're they are like that greedy little kid who's like, I'm going to take every toy and then I'm going to leave you these three things, even though I have 45 things in my arms. You know, it does. It feels a bit to me. You know, I've heard. You know, you're saying you're so eloquently describing the situation. You know, obviously Moxley eloquently described the situation. It feels a bit like Rome is burning and Vince is playing the fiddle right now. And I guess my question is, <laughs> I, I, it does, doesn't it? It does a bit. Yeah, and I mean, you can make all kinds of Roman Emperor, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, comparisons between the McMahons and whatever. But you know, it does feel a bit like that. And I mean, do you think uh, this is, you know, it, could we see a paradigm shift, a real one? Could WWE we burn itself down so much here because they are not making different decisions where a company like AEW realistically could maybe insert themselves in that top product position. Yeah, that's that's where I, that's probably where I disagree is that I think AEW is going to compete, but I don't think it's going to be such an overlap of uh or such a I don't think it'll be a tidal wave. Um I don't think AEW is going to drown the WWE in any capacity. I think right now it's about making the product really great, making new fans, and then competing on a level where they're getting reasonable numbers. Do I think it'll be the Monday Night Wars again? Probably not, but I think we're entering into a new war. It's not about Monday Night Wars. It's about the Twitter wars. And what you're going to see is there's going to be a lot of combative nature over the Internet and social media that will almost be telling a story behind the story the whole way through. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, let's let's kick back here to, to double or nothing. One of the things you brought brought up was, you know, crying, watching Cody versus Dustin. You know, you've been involved in some really incredible films. I mean, Black Klansman and I, Tanya are two of my favorite movies in recent memory. And, and you were. Just, oh, thank you, dude. You, you were really just great in both of them, Paul. But I mean, for, for you being in that space, working with that level of actors, what goes through your head when you're watching Cody and Dustin take 13,000 people and put them right in the middle of their palm of their hand? Wow. That's a really good question. Um, I think, you know, I like to give all the credit to those guys, you know, in the ring. uh, But at the same time, those video packages were really, really influential in the storytelling. Uh, Cody giving the whole, I love my brother promo. Uh, and talking about him like a dog that needs to be put down. I mean, that's we don't even get promos like that anymore. Uh, we don't get writing that good anymore. Think about how well-written Cody's promo was. And I assume he wrote it himself because he's that creative. But, but like, promos like that live on in history the way his dad did. Yeah. So that promo alone and then the, that sort of country music western song that played over dustin's footage in the video package like it built in a way that 
that we all believed it. We all bought in. And then when you finally get us there, whether we're watching from our living room or from MGM Grand Garden Arena, if you have done your due diligence with the story, once we're there, dude, we're there. We're in. And everybody was in it, and then the payoff was perfect. Yeah. You know, and you bring up how good those video packages were. Uh, I actually had the chance to pick the brain of Nick Mondo yesterday, who was the director for the Johnny Moxley viral videos, the one where he broke out of prison. Oh, that was great. I love that video. I know. Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, again, it's like you're in this space where, like, that level of quality is just kind of something that you're accustomed to at this point because of the work that you do. I mean, again, like, when you see what Moxley's doing here with promos like that, I mean, how excited – do you get about that? I mean, what what else do you think when you when you see that kind of stuff being introduced into pro wrestling? What a healthy sky's sky's the limit moment for all wrestlers uh, when they see what Moxley did of like, oh, I'll 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 throw some money at a really creative friend of mine who can do this promo with me over a weekend in L.A. and that'll be what kickstarts an entire campaign for a new a new era for that guy. So. I just hope it encourages people. I hope people see all this and they go, oh, I can do my thing. Whatever that thing is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and however it is, it might be literal public stunts. I mean, why is there a wrestler who's not out staging publicity stunts in like shopping malls and stuff? Like there could be, there could be a whole thing where a wrestler goes and like says, I'm going to fight a fan. And you get some scrawny indie guy who does have a wrestling background to pretend to be a fan or something. And then you attack them and then you start, you throw them into a, a fountain in the middle of a shopping mall or something like, like you could, the creativity has no limits. You just don't, you can't be afraid to do it. And a guy like John Moxley or Cody Rhodes these guys aren't afraid to do it anymore. Uh, the chains are off, man. Yeah, you know, I, you know, listening to you talk, I, I got to ask, you know, how big of an Andy Kaufman fan are you? Oh, come on, dude. <laughs> oh, I love Andy Kaufman. Dude, I love Andy Kaufman. I used to watch his specials on Comedy Central when I was a little kid where they'd show footage of him cutting promos and, and you know, fighting women. It was the greatest thing in the world. How far ahead of the curve do you think that guy was? I mean, considering, you know, the way you describe how wrestling could be right now and watching what a lot of these guys are doing. Pretty ahead of the curve, man. Uh, just, just in like the, sh- <laughs> like the shameless, like there's no shame with Andy. Uh, and Moxley, actually Moxley has an old, he has an old promo he did, I think in CZW where he's like bleeding and he's like, hugging the female uh uh behind the scenes um interviewer and he's just like saying things like i like to date ugly women i date ugly women i pick up fat women at bars i like he he calls himself sick where he's like i'm just a sick guy i'm a sick guy <laughs> and like that promo that i saw like it reminds me of that shamelessness where somebody's just like laying it all out there warts and all and just having it be unintentionally funny and i think guys some of the greats like Steve Austin and Roddy Piper, they did the same thing. They kind of were themselves to the detriment of their own reputation. And uh, Andy Kaufman was was perfect at that. Yeah, I'm a big Andy fan, too. That's why I bring it up. It's like, I know you got like a little bit. Oh, of, yeah. It's like, how can, yeah, how can you not be? We're like the same age and you have the comedy background and pro wrestling love. I mean, there's a. Well, a can, can, I, can, can I ask you a question? Nick? Sure. What do you think is most missing in wrestling that you would like to see? come to the forefront right now um as far as the the rosters or the performers 
Well, I think it's twofold. One, I think you need more surprises, which I think AEW knocked out of the park, right? Like, WWE has just been so bland, right? You know, that was a big thing about Mox in his interview, too, where he's like, you know, I'm gone for six months or whatever, an injury, and they bring me back as the lunatic fringe in the corner of Seth Rollins, and they blew my return, right? You know, you know, yeah. they could have done it differently, right? They could have tried to grab the – we haven't seen something like Nexus, you know, since Nexus. You know, like, it's, it was that. And Correct. Then, you know, Correct. So, so I think surprises are good. There were a lot of surprises at AEW, even little ones sprinkled throughout. The other thing, though, is going to – you know, long-term – storytelling right letting two wrestlers really invest take the time and, and build a feud together there's very few uh programs in recent memory i mean you can point to charlotte and becky you can point to you know shane and miz which has maybe gone on too long but outside of that you don't really have any long-term storytelling going on in, in wwe anymore and uh i hope that w or i hope that AEW uh you know has already put pen to paper and i'm, yeah, I'm gonna guess they have but laid out a couple six, eight year long story arches that the fans can invest in for long periods at a time. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's that's super accurate. I think Ciampa versus Gargano, another was one, one of the greatest programs of all time. And what sucks is that it was abbreviated. Obviously, um, I think you know. I think we need we need stables back, especially WWE. WWE's roster is like 1,900 people. If you don't start doing stables again, like you're going to, it's like Tetris. They keep building and building and building. And they're like, we're just going to let this add up until it crashes. Um, I think they need to like, wrestling in its heyday, it was like Nation of Domination, the Heart Foundation, DX. Then you had all these polarizing, unique tag teams like, the headbangers and, uh, and, uh, you know, DOA and all these, all these guys, uh, like, I just think like, I think they got to start building and you got to start finding ways to utilize all the talent you have or else the fans get pissed when you don't use somebody like Luke Harper, who is so proficient in, in wrestling psychology and he can move around so graciously for a big guy. It's like, it breaks my heart to see guys like that go nowhere. Yeah, no, I, well, I hear what you're saying about stables, and I agree to a point. I mean, it works really well in New Japan, right? Like LIJ, Bullet Club, you had chaos there. Everybody kind of had factions. There was all kinds of, you know, inherent tension you could draw. But then I look over at Ring of Honor right now, and I think it's, like, kind of oversaturated, right? Like with Villain Enterprises and Lifeblood, and, uh, you know, you also still have some some Bullet Club remnants over there. And, the, and then the Kingdom, you know? I think for me it's just, you know, there's so many great individual talents like that ROH has right now. Like, you know, PCO, I don't know that he needs to be, you know, in, in, a, in a faction. Or Juice Robinson, I don't really know that Juice Robinson needs to be in a faction. Or, or Bandito, you know? I, I don't know. I guess there's kind of a middle ground. I don't know that anybody's quite found the right the right mix yet if that makes sense yeah i think that's true roh is also and i don't want to by the way i for the record let it be known i canceled my wwe subscription probably a year or more ago and i signed up for roh oh, good. so i pay for roh month monthly i like roh but i also think roh is missing an edge i don't think they have an edge right now um, I don't mean the wrestler. I mean <laughs> having an edge. Um, I, I just I watch the product and I go, this is. It feels like it's hitting its head on the ceiling. It hasn't broke broken through. What it'll take to do that, I'm not sure. But I think it'll be. 
dethroning Jay uh, Lethal with somebody really polarizing. Hmm. And who do you think that would be? And Lethal's not the champ right now, know. by the way. Matt Taven's the champion right now. Wait, did Matt Taven beat Jay? It, Madison Square Garden. He, he won the ladder match against Marty Scroll. Oh, holy crap. No, he did. He did. Oh, I'm tripping. I'm tripping. I'm tripping. Well, the, I mean, the fact that that's – I mean, I literally watched that and forgot about it. So the fact that – I don't think that says as much about my mental state as it does there's something underwhelming about that. Isn't it? There was a lot going um, on at that show. Bret Hart had just been attacked. Enzo and Cass had officially pissed off the entire roster. I mean, there was a lot happening at that moment in time, you know? There's a lot happening in wrestling. I'm missing it. Um, I, I like Villain Enterprises, but also it's it's a matter of we all know Marty doesn't want to be there. It's tough to get on board with something when you know the main guy doesn't actually want to be there. Mm-hmm. He wants to be at AEW. Yeah. So that's kind of awkward. You think they should have just let him walk? No, you got to keep a talent like that. He's incredible. If you can keep him, you got to keep him and do your best with it. And if anything, hopefully he's getting PCO even more over and he's getting, uh, uh, who's the other big lug who's terrific. I'm Brody King having a brain for it. Brody King, Brody King, who, you know, I saw on, on the bar wrestling scene a handful of times. Uh, hopefully it's getting those guys over so that when Marty inevitably leaves and goes to AEW, uh, they can have singles pushes or, or some sort of push. Uh, I think Brody King could be a really scary sort of like, I'd love to see him work a guy like Jay Lethal. A guy, I'd love to see him fight a squeaky, clean, fast-moving baby face and just sell the hell out of everything he's doing. I'd love to see that with Brody. Yeah, uh, great point. You know, uh, I'll, I'll, we'll get back here to, to AEW talk real quick because that was the talk of the weekend. You know, Adam Page won the Casino Battle Royal. He's going to take on Chris Jericho. You know, rolling into these first TNT primetime shows, who do you think should be AEW champion? What kind of story do you want to tell? You got to push a new generation. Uh, there's something exciting about a big name being the first champion. So if you do Chris Jericho, it does set a precedent of like our first champion was one of the greatest of all time. Uh, but I think you got to push younger talent, and I think it's smart to give to put the strap on page i just think it it sends a message and says something now there's going to be people that are like oh are the evps only going to book their boys with the with the titles and the straps are we only going to see the elite being the elite by way of elite titles like i don't think that's going to happen but um but you know i'd like to see adam page beat jericho and have it send a message and then do a program where jericho's chasing the strap you know, everybody kept saying, like, Jericho should get it and then have the young, hungry Adam Page chase the strap. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's as compelling as watching Jericho do it. Because Jericho can kind of be like the new age Ric Flair, and you're, like, low-blowing people and getting women to interfere in matches and doing all these tactics that are leading to getting the strap. I think I'd rather see that than watch Adam Page just hungrily chase after it. So my vote is on on Adam to get the title and to hopefully have a clean six to 12 month run where you make it matter and have Jericho chase it. All right. Well, you know, uh, I run right up at my 20 minute mark here. Uh, Paul, I have, uh, have to ask you uh, one or two more questions. You, do you have to run off or can I ask you one, uh, one or two more questions here? Oh no, I got time, dude. Okay, great. Well, uh, of course I wanted to touch a little bit on your workout outside of, of pro wrestling, right? Like, you know, your famous people stuff. Uh, and kind of tie it a bit. Famous in. people stuff. Yeah, Love your, it. your famous people stuff. And kind of work it into maybe a bit of a pro wrestling discussion. Um, 
I did earlier say, you know, I, I thought I, ta- I Tanya for me is my kind of dark humor, you know, reality mm-hmm. twisted surrealist type movie. Great film. Right. You were wonderful as Sean Eckhart. You know, for you though, that was a conniving bad guy role you got to play. Were you channeling any pro wrestling heels in that? <laughs> oh my gosh, Sean Eckhart! I don't think he could cut a promo to save his own life. Um, <laughs> okay, so no. But uh, right. or or hit the ropes. I don't know if he could do a, a safe flat back. Um, what I will say about that is that. Uh, I think Sean Eckhart would have been great for the world of professional wrestling because he's the guy who you assume is like a dullard and and just an idiot nincompoop. And then maybe he actually is brilliant and is orchestrating stuff and pulling strings behind the scenes. So he could have definitely fit into the world of pro wrestling for sure. Okay, so not really a wrestler, but you see him as like maybe the guy Vince has take care of something for him in the world of pro wrestling. <clears throat> oh, dude, I think he's like, he could be the you know, he could be the guy you think he's like a hornswoggle or like uh, he's somebody who you bring out for comedy. And then what you find out is he's the orchestrator behind a Nexus type movement oh. where he's like the guy you laugh at for 10 to 20 weeks. Okay. And then one day he snaps his fingers and 15 guys come in the ring and pull their shirts off and beat up, you know, number one on the roster or something. OK, OK. Uh, well, I'll flip over here to Black Klansman. You know, I love I love that movie. You know, it was a great it, it makes you think. Right. You watch Black Klansman, you walk away. You're like, what the F is going on right now in America? Um, I can't imagine that you weren't in that whirlwind around that film and didn't glean something about, you know, the current, uh, you know, racial divide, the tensions in America. I mean, how do you think WWE is dealing with the current, you know, social climate, uh, you know, regarding those issues? Yeah, Black Clansman is an important film because it puts a mirror up uh, to the past and the present, and then there's a bunch of correlation, unfortunately. Um, and and things haven't... We, we like to think because we had a black president that things are better and that racism doesn't exist, but that's insane. That's like your relative getting cured from cancer and then saying, I think, I think we're going to find a cure for cancer. Um, these things just, they purvey and they happen, and we have to be aware of them. And I think WWE, on on some note, you know, they have to grow with the times more. And they have to be cognizant that meeting quotas of social justice aren't a good thing. You know, Cody said it best. He said, we're not trying to meet the quota. We're not trying to have one gay wrestler or one um, transgender person. It's just about great talent, and it's about inclusion. And uh, hopefully WWE will, will see that. But I think right now their wallet, wallet is big enough where they're just going to buy everybody up and then probably not know what to do with them. My hope is that my hope is that money is not always going to be the um, sort of dangle carrot for that company and that they'll want to send out a better message to the world. Gotcha. That's a wonderful answer. You know, and uh, it was fun uh, getting to do some research on you, Paul, because I remember when we had met at StarCast 2, you had mentioned – you had done something on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That was like one of your original roles. And I went and I researched. I found out what that was. And you were Richie the Juggalo, the high school Juggalo on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Um, do you indulge in Juggalo Championship Wrestling? Are you down with the clowns? <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is a thing. It's a damn. That is a thing. I'm friend, I used, Well, their former champion, Weedman. I, I was friends with Weedman. Or I am friends with Weedman. But, uh, you know, it's a real deal. There's some big names that have played Juggalo Championship Wrestling. Yeah, no, I never really watched much of it, but I knew about it. And uh, they always kind of got like, 
edgy people or funny people, they would have like Cole Cabana come in. They've probably had like X-Pac and some people, sure. uh, like actual people that are respected. So, um, yeah, I don't know much about it, but I, I grew up in Saginaw, Michigan, which is like a couple hours away from the ICP sort of yes. uh, place and headquarters. Yeah, the hub. Yeah, I got you. The hub. I love that show, though. Man, it was an honor to get to be on It's Always Sunny. Yeah, for sure. I just didn't know if the clowns had reached out and they were like, you are one of us now. You have gone mainstream. Oh, and- my gosh. I have not been given indoctrination by way of uh, the Fago brothers. Uh, that has not happened yet. I'm still waiting on it. Maybe you'll be baptized in the Fago here one day. Food for thought. Um, lastly, you know, Cobra Kai, very different. It's a much more physical show. You know, karate, obviously. You know, what is the physical preparation like for you uh, going into Cobra Kai? Physical prep, uh, not much. <laughs> <laughs> my character's comic relief, so I didn't have to do much. But I will say this, I'm very flexible. I can kick over my head, and I, I like play fighting and all that stuff. I do all my own stunts. I just did a couple stunts in a new movie for Netflix uh, for Spike Lee. So um, when they told me that I got to be in the fight scene, and they kind of laid it all out and personalized it to my character, I was like, dude, I'll do 500 takes of this. I can't wait. And uh, that fight scene was was like a career highlight, getting to go in and play pretend and just, you know, these these guys are bumping and selling for me too. That's what's awesome. They're stuntmen. So they're not going to act like you, you know, flicked them with your finger every hit they're acting like you just hit them with a car you know they're, they're like so into it it's amazing how's your agent feel about you enjoying this like are you are they would they be upset if you decided to go in, into the world of pro wrestling and try to try to make a little bit of name there i would love to man it's a dream of mine and though it's a sort of a silly dream based on how i presently look um listen i saw what chris pratt did with his transformation and i think in uh six to 12 months somebody can have a radical transformation if they if they lean into it and really use all the resources at their at their disposal um and i also know that my manager brian walsh represents uh roman reigns and my agent ryan abushi at caa represents dave batista so uh my my team who represents me literally they some of them are wrestling fans and represent wrestlers so it's not crazy to think. Uh, my dream is that I could be ringside to manage uh, somebody or do an appearance for AEW and then um, and then get attacked and like thrown through a table or something and then come back six months later and try to do what Stephen Amell did. That's that's the silly childhood pipe dream, but uh, we'll see if it happens. There are no silly childhood pipe dreams. There are just dreams, my friend. You know, uh, I wa- American dreams. Oh. American dreams. That's real. Pulled it back in. Uh, I got to thank you so much uh, for the time here, Paul. Uh, I know you've got a lot coming up here. Uh, what do you want to let people know is on the docket for you coming up and where else to find you and follow you? All those great things. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, I, I'm on social media. Instagram is P.W. Hauser and Twitter, I think, is Paul W. Hauser. Um, I'm starting a YouTube channel that'll drop sometime this summer. We're filming content for it right now. And on a grander scale, I just shot another Spike Lee movie for Netflix. That'll be out next year. It's called The Five Bloods. And uh, sorry, forgive me for like cracking my voice. I was at a premiere last night for a movie and my I was like shouting over the music, so my voice is dead. Famous people um, stuff. Famous, more famous people yeah, stuff. Famous I get it. People stop. I get it. I get um, it. I get it. 
Uh, yeah, so another Spike Lee movie coming out next year with Chadwick Boseman and Jonathan Majors. Uh, my movie Late Night comes out in June with Mindy Kaling and Emma Thompson. I have another movie called Beats at Netflix with Anthony Anderson. That'll come out in June. And, uh, and yeah, I got some stuff I can't talk about, but, um, but all good stuff, man. I feel really blessed, really fortunate to be in the position I am. And honestly, it was so fun running into you at Double or Nothing. We had such a good conversation at that bar near the casino. Mm -hmm. Uh, you and your friends were so cool to me and my buddy. And, uh, I hope we get to bump into each other a million times over at these wrestling events. It's going to be fun, man. Thank you very much uh, to Michael Weissman for joining me at the top of the show. And thank you so much, Paul Walter Hauser, uh, for taking the time to chat with me. I absolutely love that conversation. Uh, please go tweet him, tweet me. Uh, let me know what you guys thought of that interview. And uh, we, will, we hope to have you back here on the show here uh, much sooner than later, Paul. Um, I want to let you guys know if you like this show, you like the website, go over to our Pro Wrestling Tea Store. Wrestling Inc.'s got one there. You can get a logoed shirt. You get a Jack Journalist T-shirt. Uh, support the show. Tag us. Tag me. I'll retweet you, will retweet you, will show a little love to your social media page. You can let your friends know where you get your news from. Uh, also, go over to our iTunes page. Five-star ratings, nice comments, appreciated. We have, a, we have a new comment that was written on our iTunes page by none other than Nick Mondo. Sick Nick Mondo, who I had on the show last week. The man who directed the John Moxley videos. Uh, he enjoyed my interview with him so much. He went over and personally left a comment on our iTunes page. I appreciate that, Nick. And if you want to be cool like Sick Nick Mondo, you could go over and do the same thing. Uh, I also want to pr plug the Ringside Wrestling app. Every Friday, I traditionally recap the top five stories of the week with our own Raj Geary. But Raj, like I said at the top of the show, he is on vacation this week. So the inmates are running the asylum. And Michael Weissman will be my fellow inmate this Friday. We're going, we're going to be on video together, Michael. Talk about wrestling. Like the good old days. So if, if I'm stepping in for Raj, does that mean I'm kind of in charge of Wrestling Inc. this week? Sure. All right, let's do this. Wonderful. Take take it from me. Um, tomorrow, tomorrow on the show, uh, we're gonna have two interviews on the show tomorrow. Now, the, we've got one for sure with Chris Van Villet, uh, who's been doing some blow away work recently. A lot of hard to get interviews. He's been uh, getting run, running people down to get them. Our own Scott. Dude Pitt. has been working. Like honestly, every time he has an interview, I'm like, how did you get them? Right? It's it's. It's a hell of a job from him. Yeah. So Chris Van Villet, uh, our own Scott Fishman, ran down uh, Chris Van Villet. We're going to have an interview with him tomorrow. And we're going to have another mystery guest tomorrow. And I have to preface mystery guests because I'm recording the interview right after Michael and I wrap up recording this one. And I never like to announce who those people are just in case something happens. I don't want to uh, falsely uh, advertise something. So uh, I will say tomorrow, big, cool uh, mystery guest on the show along with Chris Van Villet. Uh, and with that all out of the way, uh, Michael Weissman, what do you want to plug, promote, put over to wrap up the show? Um, as always, you can follow me on Twitter for all of my most up-to-date wrestling opinions. I am at the Real Wiseman. Um, if you want pictures of my dogs, my cats, uh, the beach, and other terrible things, you can follow me on Instagram. I am at Wiseman.ma. And I am at Wink Rebel over on Twitter. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the show. And join the Winkly. And remember, if you winked, you didn't miss it. <laughs>